October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. One in eight women in the United States will be diagnosed with breast cancer in her lifetime. In honor of this, we're going to be resharing an episode we originally aired on October 25th of 2020 titled, We Are Survivors. We had an interview with Coach Shallon Fulove discussing her journey through breast cancer and her survivorship of that. One of the first things that has been sidelined during the pandemic has been women screening for breast cancer, with appointments being canceled, delayed. And what we encourage everyone to do is take that time to guard your health, mental, physical, and spiritual. One in eight podcast family. So in memory of those that we have lost to this terrible and horrific illness, we ask that you take a moment to listen to this episode. And please, if you are eligible, get your mammogram. Hey, podcast fam. Welcome to another episode of Motherhood in Black and White. I'm Kanji. I'm Tara. And we're so happy that you could join us on this week's episode. If you listened to last week's episode, you will understand and know that we ended with Tara a little bit on a rough note. A little bit. Last week was kind of rough for you. Yes, it was. And yes, it was. And looking forward, I was not expecting it to get much better. <laughs> and apparently it didn't. It did not. It did not. However, my word was survive. And I did that. So there we go. It's a win. <laughs> right. So if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that sometimes we just like to give ourselves words of the week to get us through. And last week, Tara's word was survive. That's right. Not because of the Beyonce song. No, but it did help. It did help it a little bit. <laughs> and it helps to remind us that we are all survivors. Correct. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. One in eight women in America will be diagnosed with breast cancer. And breast cancer disproportionately kills women of color. Did you know that? I learned that from you. You and I you and I talked about this just we teased on it a little bit once. I think we did. Yeah. Yes. So even though black women are not diagnosed with breast cancer at rates of white women, mm -hmm. if a black woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, she has a thirty one percent chance of death. That's incredible. It's so tragic. Mm -hmm. And we've made some great strides medically with um, breast cancer detection and awareness mm -hmm. and treatment, but we still have so far to go. So far to go. So today, kind of hearkening back a little bit to your word of the week, last week of survive, mm -hmm. we're going to talk about how we are all survivors and we're going to bring on board a new voice to our conversation. Welcome yeah. to the family, somebody I am really excited about meeting, Shallon Fuller, Coach Shall. She's going to join us to talk about her journey of survivorship and we are so excited to meet her. Coach Shell, welcome to the conversation. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. So share with our family a little bit about you, kind of who you are, what makes you tick. And if you would please tell us your story of, um, of breast cancer survival. Sure. So I'm a mom, first and foremost. I have a nine-year-old daughter. I'm a coach. I'm a high school cross-country coach. And I'm a runner myself. I've been a runner since a very young age. I started running on a team when I was five years old. Wow. Can't, can't quit it. <laughs> My day job, I'm a head of people for autonomous technology at Lyft. 
I've been in tech for a really long time, spent about 17 years at Google, working across so many different areas. But um, coaching is probably, coaching and parenting, which I think are very similar, at least the way I approach them, I think um, are probably my true passions. Yeah, a little bit about my survivorship. I'm a cancer survivor and a breast cancer previvor. Um, <laughs> previvor, can yeah. you tell us what that pre-viver. means? Um, yeah, you alluded a little bit in your intro that they've made so much advancement in breast cancer detection, and I'm a huge benefactor of that. Um, so, previvor is someone who was able to get screening um, and understand that they may be at um, over at risk to breast cancer. So you may have heard of um, BRCA or BRCA mutations. There's BRCA1 and BRCA2. And these are two genes that help repair cells to avoid people getting cancer. But if you have a mutation in one of those genes, then you are they almost can guarantee with really high rates of prediction that you will get breast cancer or ovarian cancer. Um, and I am a BRCA2. I have a BRCA2 mutation that I inherited um, from my dad's side of the family. And when I got diagnosed with that, um, we went through a lot of conversations with my doctors to figure out what the treatment would be. And, um, just given the very high rate that likelihood that I would get breast cancer, um, somewhere in like the 80 percentage point total that I would, um, somehow get breast cancer before I was 70, I elected to do a prophylactic double mastectomy in 2017. Wow. And then um, just a year ago, I just had a milestone. Um, a year ago on October 10th um, was my one-year anniversary from having a prophylactic oophorectomy, which is easier way to think about it maybe is like a partial hysterectomy. Um, and so the good news is, is that I'm not going to get breast cancer and I'm not going to get ovarian cancer. <laughs> very good. <laughs> very so good. I preempted it. I preempted it. That's what previvor means is that you didn't get it, even though you knew we we're going to probably likely get it. Yeah. And then um, in 2006, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and um, I actually did have thyroid cancer and I had my thyroid removed. I guess that was about 14 years ago. Wow. Yeah. You mentioned the BRCA2 mutation. How did you find the genetic mutation? My aunt, my paternal aunt, um, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer really late. Um, that's the really tricky thing about ovarian cancer is that the surveillance is really bad and they tell you that so that um, if they screen you and they find it, it's not great news because it's pretty far along at that point. And so she was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer and she fought it bravely for nine years. Um, but she also was very courageous and shared with me and other folks in our family about her mutation. So I was able to get the genetic testing. Wow, that's incredible. So you said your daughter is nine. Mm -hmm. So you you were kind of going through all of this when um, she was pretty young, seven or eight, it sounds like, or six, seven, it sounds like. Yeah, I was thinking about that. So 2017, I had a double mastectomy. She was born in 2011. So she wasn't quite six. She was five years old. Wow. yeah. So it was interesting to kind of figure out how we talk about that. And um, we just told her that mommy had to go to the hospital because her boobs were sick. Oh. <laughs> that would have prompted a lot more questions from my six-year-old, I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> Did she just kind of roll with it? Yeah. I, mean, I think I just spoke about it really matter-of-factly. I wasn't scared. And she said, I'm just going to go. I'll be back. And then, you know, I had a lot of recovery and I just said, mommy needs to rest. And, um, 
you know, she just kind of trusted that everything was going to be okay. And I was really, uh, I had a pretty smooth, um, recovery. I was, you know, I was really healthy going into it. Um, my first question to my doctors is always, you know, okay, so how long until I can start running? <laughs> when can mm. I start running again? <laughs> yeah. And we have to tell you, you don't know this coach shall, but Tara has been fangirling on you since 2016. A little bit. She's oh. in, and we're going to get to yeah, that a we'll little bit. I'm going to let Tara kind of, um, talk to you about her unhealthy obsession with you. She is also <laughs> unhealthily obsessed with Zac Efron. So you are in really good oh, company, Coach Shaw. Yeah. Wow. But but you were talking about the diagnosis and you were really young. You were in your 30s when you decided to have the uh, preventative double mastectomy. How how did that feel as a young mom? Yeah. Can you just talk with us a little bit about how you felt and and also being the mother of a daughter who potentially could have this genetic mutation, how Mm. some of those thoughts and feelings that you're going through and you've gone through. Yeah. Yeah. It was part of the reason why it took me so long on when to decide to do the surgery. Um, because I wasn't sure if I was done having children, um, which I can still have children and I have a mastectomy, um, but I wouldn't be able to nurse. And how did I feel about that? And, there was a lot of um, weeding through, like, how to balance putting yourself first, how to be there for your child, um, or maybe a future child. So it was it was very complicated. I It's a lot of imperfect information, um, and I was just really fortunate to have great doctors and friends um, to just, you know, seek counsel about. I, unfortunately, my aunt passed away before I could really talk to her much about all of it. Um, but I had other family members um, who were able to, you know, just listen to me and help me walk through it. But it's definitely, you know, very layered as a woman. Yeah. Um, as a runner, I, you know, I, I never really felt like a strong association. <laughs> like my image, like in my breasts were like not really part of my like physique, you know, I just like, I'm kind of on board. Like, (laughs) yeah, I'm just like sports bra. Like, um, but I think I was surprised at how emotional it was. And probably because I had a young child, I had nursed her for a year. Um, and I maybe underweighted that connection with my body in that way. And it really hit me when I was speaking with my surgeons ahead of the surgery and just figuring out who my surgeon was going to be and what I should be expecting. And, um, it's one surgeon that, you know, said very matter of factly, you're basically having an amputation. Mm. Yeah. And that really was heavy. I was like, Whoa, yeah, that's a big deal. So it took me a while to get the courage up to do it. And then I think once I made up my mind, um, you know, I was just ready like to do it. I think I was in the, waiting room to go into my surgery and I was already reading uh, a champion's comeback the book I'm already coming back from this thing (laughs) planning the comeback planning the comeback so in 2016 you competed for the Olympic U.S. Olympic trial team isn't that right I did I competed in the U.S. Olympic trials for the marathon in 2016 and in 2008 that's amazing so uh I will full disclosure I I didn't know your name by 
you know, recognition. But as soon as I heard 2016 US marathon trials, I watched that trial. I, <laughs> and I immediately was like, oh, it was the one in LA. It was the hottest one That's on right. record. Galen That's won right. his first marathon he ever ran. Uh, <laughs> Shalane collapsed at the finish line. I was, the, right. I just started like rattling all this stuff at Teva and Kanji were both looking at me like, what? <laughs> Fan girl. I I'm watched the you. entire thing. And so, um, but I did see, um, uh, was that a tough day for you? That was a very tough day yeah. for me. Um, I went into it. I had qualified the December before. Mm-hmm. So it was very close. I had done the same thing in 2008. Um, it was about seven weeks in between the qualifier and the, the race. And um Wow. I was, I came into it with a, with a foot injury mm. and we did everything we could to, uh, kind of get it ready to go and hold on that day. But let's see, about mile six or so, I just landed weird on a curb on my foot and it totally gave way. Man. And, um, I stayed in for another eight miles mm-hmm. and, um, then just decided that this was silly. It was getting hotter. You yeah. know, it was. People were like dropping out. Uh, I remember seeing one, the elite men went by me like locomotives. And wow. then like three miles later at the start, cause it was loops. Mm-hmm. I saw one of them just kind of hands on knees. And I was like, you know what? This is silly. I need to just, <laughs> you know, live to race another day and not like ruin my foot. So, um, I sadly had to drop out at about mile 14 of that trials, but. Um, I was really proud that I got there and I did everything that I could. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to make those calls and just kind of see the bigger picture. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, like you said, the most elite runners in the world struggled through that race. A lot of people didn't make it through that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a tough day. And you were preparing for the 2020 Olympic trials, right? Yes, I was trying to make a comeback um, for the 2020 trials. Had really good buildups for it. Um, I just got really unlucky couple of times I got sick a couple of times right before some race efforts and then you know I think I it was coming to a point where I was really needed to think about these surgeries you know I was already kind of pushing the envelope for the age recommendations for these surgeries and I think I decided to do the double mastectomy and I tried to come back and you know, I just, it was just too hard to come back from everything that was going on in my life. The yeah. surgeries. 2017 was maybe the hardest, my hardest year on record. Mm. Um, I had the double mastectomy and in between my two surgeries, I had the mastectomy and then I had reconstruction mm-hmm. about 12 weeks apart. Um, and in between that time, my dad passed away oh, and, so sorry. um, really suddenly. And so I think 2017 was rough and, um, you know, I was just trying to come back into it. So, um, I, you know, I, I, sometimes I think, you know, I think I have another cycle in me. I'll be 46 mm-hmm. at the next, um, trials. I think never say never. I think, um, I don't think it's not on the table. I think it's possible if I decide to kind of throw everything at it. Yeah. And, um, you're a survivor and I thank you for sharing your story and you're so courageous. A lot of women go through things, health challenges and issues and not realizing that, there are other people that are also going through them and, and as courageously as you've gone through everything. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, I know that in 2017, you just shared with us that your father passed away. What's your favorite memory of, of your father? <laughs> um, I have a photo from the 2016 trials. Uh, 
that's very dear to me. We were, he was giving me a hug as I was walking towards the starting line. Mm. He wasn't able to come to the 2008 trials and, um, you know, LA was my home, is my hometown and it's where I started running. And he was a huge champion for me in that area. So for him to be there was really special. And at the time I didn't know, you know, he was going to pass away a year from then. Right. So, you know, so that was, you know, it's a really, it's hard for me to look at the photo without getting emotional. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, he was my biggest champion. If, you know, from the time I was like a little kid, you know, he was like, she can do anything she wants to like beat the boys, like, you know, <laughs> like, be an Olympian if she wants. I mean, yeah. so I just never had any limit. He was always just my biggest supporter. And, um, so that's how I think about him. Coach, you had mentioned about the BRCA gene mutation. It is more prevalent in the Black community and for Black women than it is mm. for white women. And your ethnic background, it's an interesting mix. You mm -hmm. are biracial. Your father was Black. That's right. And you appear um, facially white to some people. <laughs> yes. I think that's okay to say. Yes. Uh -huh. uh, I mean, how has... so So living as... And do you identify as a black woman? I identify as, I think, biracial. Okay. You know, mm -hmm. as, uh, you know, and, um, you know, I identify as, as myself. I, I definitely feel a connection to both sides of my family. I was close um, to my dad and my mom. But yes, I, I walk around this world and people see me probably as a white woman at face value. Like when I, when I walk in a store or walk in a room, right? Yeah. So it's fair to say that. And um, I think I identify as a biracial woman. You know, and that's interesting. My son is biracial and he appears facially black. Um, mm. he, he identifies as black. But I think for him, he's 11. It's because that's the world sees him as. Mm -hmm. And my husband is white. It's like, I don't see him as a black kid. I see him as white. And he's like, he's my son. Of course, I see him as white. <laughs> I said, well, the rest of the world sees him as black. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and I even talk to Roman about President Obama. I said, no one or very few people refer to President Obama as the first biracial president. That's right. And it's sad and it, and it's disheartening to me because my son's father, my husband is Italian American. And so he's as much Italian American and should be proud of that heritage as he is black and proud of that ethnicity. But it's taken from him because of what society perceives him to look like and to be, mm -hmm. you know, just like my great grandfather is Irish, but I would look like a straight fool if I was here <laughs> wearing a kiss me, I'm Irish shirt. But I'm like, hey, why can't I claim my Irish heritage? Do what heritage? you want. Right, you should. <laughs> you In 2021, we're going to be celebrating. We're going to do what we want. Yes. We are definitely going to be celebrating St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. And I'm going to be dancing an Irish jig. <laughs> you know, but, but I love that you can not put yourself in a box. And, and you can proclaim that your biraciality and it's, it's, it's wonderful. But I, I find it so interesting when someone who is biracial, who kind of can go through life, we, we, some of us talk about the passing, you know, right, um, right. And, and what that must feel like or seem like without, um, without discounting either or both sides of your heritage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Was that difficult? Um, you know, growing up as a kid uh, out in public with your family or just like in other areas where people might be saying things and you're, you want to go like, hey, you know, my dad is behind <laughs> You know what I mean? Did you have that kind of experience? I've had a couple of experiences like that. I mean, by and large, um, I grew up in L.A., 
Both my parents are really involved in my athletics and sports. Um, and there were a lot of kids and families around us that were similar. Okay. Um, so I think, um, you know, in my own family, I think on my dad's side especially was very accepting. Um, I, it's, you know, it's not lost on me that I look a lot different than my cousins and my siblings. Yeah. And, um, especially this year, you know, thought a lot about that. Yeah. You know, my dad always told me that this is going to be kind of to your advantage in some ways in terms of being able to see people's true colors. See, the people are going to say things around you that they won't say mm. otherwise, and you're going to understand people. And um, it happened to me with my mom and I in Nebraska as a young kid. We were there for um, Junior Olympics, some running event, and we were on a bus and there were some comments being made. And, um, you know, I'm sure they wouldn't have said that. You know, if my well, I'm not sure, but I would like to, you know, probably maybe they wouldn't have been hopefully, right? But I had a very stark experience with my dad traveling to Alabama in the uh, gosh, I don't know, maybe early 90s. Normally, my dad would not travel, I wasn't allowed to go to the south with my dad. I always went to the, the south of my mom when we had events there, Mississippi, Georgia. Alabama, but he really wanted to go to Alabama this time. He really wanted to see the War Eagle, their mascot. And I think um, I've spent a lot of time this year thinking about that experience um, and just wondering what was going through his mind um, going there. I think he he probably let his guard down a little bit and thought maybe things would be better and be okay to travel with me mm-hmm. to Alabama. And um, And it really wasn't. It really wasn't. And I think we had a real, I mean, an episode where we walked into a restaurant and the whole restaurant just stopped and Mm. like stared at us. And it was like a movie. And the rest of that trip, we we never left the hotel. He would not let us leave the hotel. And I just, this, especially this year, um, as a parent and having a little bit more mature mindset and taking things more in context. At the time, I was just going bonkers, bouncing off the walls in the hotel room. Come on, dad, let's go, let's go. But I just, thinking back what was he thinking he must have been scared he must have been sad um you know just so disappointing so you know there's been moments like that or um moments my mom will tell me about you know walking into a grocery store with me and my brother and her and then my dad pushing my brother out in the cart um at the grocery store and this woman running up to my mom saying that man's he's stealing your child (laughs) (laughs) my mom being like it's her it's his dad yeah you know so yeah we've had some of those moments but um you know fortunately by large um i haven't had too many moments like that at the time you know when you were on that trip with your dad so it's are you an auburn alum alum it sounds like is that Auburn that has the War Eagle? I think, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, I'm not an Auburn alum, but my dad just he loves, I don't know why he loves Alabama so much. He loves, they have this giant War Eagle, yeah. this giant, so he really wanted to see it. That's hilarious. So when you guys were on that trip, I mean, it, now, of course, looking back, you can say that's what happened. That's why it happened. Did he not talk about it or did you guys not discuss it? And you just kind of, he just said, hey, we're just not leaving the hotel. Yeah, I can see it so vividly. He was just laying on the on the bed, feet crossed, arms crossed, watching TV, and he's just like, "Nope, we're not leaving." And I've thought a lot about that. Yeah. Now this year, especially as a parent, where there was probably so much he wanted to say, and so compl- so much complication to to the, what was going on, 
and he just didn't really go into it. Um, he was a pretty emotional person um, underneath it all, and I'm sure he was just a mix of emotions. Um, and so that was just him keeping it together and, and probably not wanting me to worry. I right. needed to right. go to the track the next day and run a race. So. Right, obviously. Yeah. And your concern for your daughter, it, you're a parent, but you're also a parent to lots of high school girls, yeah. Coach Shell. <laughs> you are an athletic coach at my former high school and you coach one of my my dear 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 friends and one of the interns for this show who's just the most lovely young woman and apparently a fantastic runner yes i don't know i don't fangirl <laughs> i don't pay enough attention to stuff going on in the get world you running you're running gonna give me a fanning. runner's world yeah that's right We're you're gonna, gonna get you. me runner's world that's right so talk to us a little bit about how you said that coaching is your passion tell us a little bit like how you got into coaching and and why it why you love it so much um, I kind of stumbled into it um, just through the running community, found out that Castilea was hiring. This was about seven years ago. And um, I, I live like four houses down from the, the school. So I was like, this is fantastic. Um, and I, we just, we just kind of, I stumbled into it and it just kind of snowballed from there. I, I went to a high school very similar to Castilea. I went to an all girls school about the same size. And I think there was a lot to just being, you know, starting my high school coaching career with a school that I understood so deeply personally. You know, my very first race that we coached, I coached, we, it was at Stanford, my alma mater. And, um, we lost, we, not only did we lose, we were last out of, I don't know, a lot of teams. I mean, (laughs) we were so far at the bottom. I turned the page over just to, I was like, surely there's somebody <laughs> behind us, but nope, <laughs> nope, that was it. So that took a moment to kind of like register, but um, I love connecting with the girls. You know, we have a sense of, you know, run family. You said that in your intro, like welcome to the family. I, you know, we have a kind of hashtag mantra about our run family. Um, I think the high school, those four years are so transformative for young women you know, when they come in as 14 years old, roughly, sometimes 13, sometimes just freshmen are 13. They're just so young, mm. but they leave young women ready to just launch and, um, to the rest of their life. And it's just so wonderful to be, it's an honor really to be a part of those four years for them. And so my approach to coaching, you know, the sport itself is just the vehicle for reaching these women and help them develop and know themselves and be ready to move on to the next chapter. Um, you know, we don't spend a lot of time overemphasizing results. Um, it's really approached as this is a bridge to the next thing. And I hope that they leave with running being part of their superpower to go on and do whatever they're going to do. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. Tara is now preparing to run a marathon or half half marathon marathon in December. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't seem like she's too excited about it. Well, no, no. My whole running story is I was really, I was a big time runner all the time. I didn't become an athlete till I was an adult. So when you talk about running at five, that just blows my mind. I (laughs) I became an adult athlete and uh, I ran only exclusively ran for several years. And I've run a couple of marathons. I've run three marathons and 
a ton of halves. And over the last, I don't know, five or six years, it's been less consistent. It's just been like, if I see a race I want to run, I'll pick it up and I'll train for it. And so this one has just been interesting because I picked it up to it with a friend, but you know, it's gone virtual now and that makes it a little less fun. And, right. you know, and so it's just, it's been hard to be consistent on this training cycle. I keep I keep telling myself to just get up and go do it. And it's just, I think in general, staying focused right now has been difficult for me. Absolutely. She yeah. needs you, Coach Shad. Yeah, tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> do you offer virtual training sessions? I, yeah, I would be happy to chat and connect on any of that. Oh, we're going to do marathon, that. The half marathon is such a great distance. It is. I love that it, distance. Yeah, it's, it's probably my favorite, honestly, because I feel like it's so doable. You can do it pretty, you can train for it pretty quickly if you've got some, you know, a little bit of base on you. And, and so I've really enjoyed that one. I, people have asked me if I want to do a marathon again and, and, uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, I enjoy it, but it's, it's, you know, I mean, it's, I don't know if it's as hard for you as it is for me, but that training cycle can be really tough. It can be, it's long. Yeah. And it's, mm. it's also like, I feel like it's kind of dangerous, you yes. know, it's like you get to the end and you're always pushing your limits. Yes. And I don't know if this, uh, if maybe so you're, you've been doing it so much longer, but I don't know if I'm not doing a really good job of taking care of myself. I always get sick. I, you know, right. there's always two or three things that derail it a little bit and just make it that much harder. Right, right. I mean, yeah, running so hard, the immune system gets a little bit challenged. It does. And, um, yeah. Um, I mean, I think you said you were doing running exclusively. I think some people, I mean, I've had to remind myself of this, but the body doesn't really know the difference between, you know, it, it takes on the stimulus. So whether yeah. or not you're, you're meeting that, you're taxing the system through a hard swim or a hard bike or hard running. You know, you can really add that variety, which I think helps. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, certainly you need to have some specificity of the sport for sure. You gotta, you can't swim all the time and then hit the road. But I think that kind of um, sometimes people, I think, think, oh, I have to run. I have to only run if I'm going to run. But um, <laughs> yeah. being an athlete, I think, is really in important. Being very athletic, I think. I joke, runners aren't very aren't they're not athletic. No. Right? If you ask if you ask a marathoner to to jump up onto a curb, it's going to be real funny. All right. It's really <laughs> stiff and we don't really move. It's true. Um, but we can run in a straight line for a long time. <laughs> well, I think that the both of you are focusing on your distance too much. I think you, you both are long distance runners by a little bit too far. My favorite <laughs> distance is the 20 yard dash I do from my couch to the bedroom about 8.45 every night. So doing I'm doing, I'm a sprinter. I sprint that's from the couch funny. to the bedroom. That's it. No, I tell people I'm built for distance, not speed. <laughs> and that's the problem maybe. maybe yes. It could be. Yes. Now, Shal, does your daughter, is she a runner? Has she inherited your love of running? She is like, I think she's like, she's got this little, it's like genie in a bottle. She's got this little athlete inside that's just, you know, like slowly starting to make itself <laughs> known. Um, today she, we had a lunch date. She biked with me over to Stanford and I did hill reps and she had her little sandwich. And, um, so she's around it. She's a, she's swimming right now and we're really focused on the really important things about making sure she's consistent and she's trying really hard and she's showing up even when it's hard. And, um, you know, she's really immersed in it. She sees me and my teammates. I run for a professional team sponsored by the Wazelle, which is a women's apparel company based out of Seattle. And, um, she sees that larger, team environment that I'm in of all these women that, you know, whether they're pros and Olympians or, you know, people who are just 
recreational and she sees me all around that. And so I'm really just trying to immerse her into all the things that the sport gives you and how empowering it can be for you, whether or not you want to achieve, you know, really elite status, or if you want to just be a real healthy person who's active and uses their body the way it was meant to move. Yeah. You're such a great advocate for the running community. If you had the chance to talk to a woman, one of our listeners who is nurturing a young child who wants to be a runner, what would you say to, to that mom? I think, you know, so much of when we want to be parents, we want to push so hard, right? We want to just give them everything. And, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it helps if we let them tell us what they need and we listen a bit more and we're just there to be supportive. So I think I would focus on creating, like putting them in the way of opportunity, but not forcing them. Um, the drive really has to come from the athlete themselves, right? Otherwise, it's really short term. Right. Um, and if you want them to have a long, a long love for running or just a healthy, you know, active lifestyle, you really have to let that come from them. And so, you know, trying to just have a little bit more um, give with them, you know, set them up for success and let them find their way, which is hard to do, especially if most young athletes have parents who are also very driven. Um, and so you kind of have to have some restraint. So for me, sometimes I, I try not to go to some of my daughter's things just to kind of give her, let her be her own space. And yeah. Find her way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Kanji said that was for our listeners, but that was for me. I needed the, I needed the answer to that question. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't know. I, I, that's, that's a tough question. Um, yeah, I think um, a lot of the parents that of the kids that I coach, um, you know, I've been fortunate that they trust that they can kind of, you know, work w- with me and they don't have to be so involved, you know, and they like kind of they provide that space for yeah. the athlete to kind of have it be their own realm. And so, you know, hopefully people can um, find something similar to help their athlete develop on their own time. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I love that you've had such a great career. Um, I love that we are going to be rooting you on for the 2024 Olympic trials. Yeah. Tara, we have a road trip ahead <laughs> of us. I'm excited. Oh I'm going to Google yes. alert you real quick. We're going to be watching you on Wazell all Wait, the time. Coach Shao, <laughs> be very careful with this. I'm telling you, Tara develops these unhealthy obsessions. I, I can see it transferring from Zach Efron to you. So maybe oh it's time for you to just change your number. <laughs> that's funny oh no thank you so much for for sharing space with us and thank you for taking the time this week to talk about your story and for letting us get to know you Uh, you're an incredible woman and um i just would love to see what happens the next chapter of your journey but you're a champion thank you so much for having me it's been wonderful for you to reach out and wonderful talking with you tonight so thank you so much yeah we enjoyed it so much coach thank you so much you're welcome thanks new friend powerful strong woman powerful story so powerful are you ready to run a marathon listen i don't (laughs) think you heard me clearly when i said kanji's running is limited to a 20 yard dash but no true story (laughs) i ran a marathon once when yes in 2006 Uh i ran the marine corps marathon in washington oh you did a big one i did okay and as i was finishing like mile 24 i was on one leg hobbling through yeah 
And everyone said, oh, you know, you get this runner's high when you know you're close to the end. Mm -hmm. And I turned to the man that was running next to me and I said, sir, you know, they say you get this runner's high. And he looked at me, he's like, yes, they lie. (laughs) There is no runner's high. For me, it's just about completing a task. And so I have no idea how I finished it, but I did finish it. And for me, running a marathon was a once in a lifetime experience. Never again. I do not think that I have run 26 miles total in the 15 years since then. Really? I don't did anymore. you did you finish the race and then keep running and think maybe you would in the future? Or were you like, nope. I'm done. I crossed the finish line. I'm done. The second I know I people that do that. Line. Yeah. No, I was done. I blew my knee out around mile 14. And I oh. really should have quit and stopped running. Um, yeah. But I did severe damage to my knees. And actually, after that is when I turned to indoor cycling. Cycle. And that's when I became a cycling okay. instructor, which is when I became your cycling that's instructor. That's right. It was meant to be. So basically, if I had not run that marathon, you and I never would have met. <laughs> well, thank goodness then. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the things when she was sharing about um, the 2016 trials, which I mean, still is just I'm just buzzing from that whole conversation. I just vividly remember sitting and watching that. But when she was talking about, you know, her foot hurt and she made the smart decision to quit and, you know, or like just hang it up for the day. I was thinking to myself, like, that's what a healthy runner sounds like. I've so often been like the one out there that's like, oh, I can keep going. I have to finish. And then I end up hurting myself worse than I would have if I had just given it a minute. But she also was talking about a lot of the challenges that she's made and a lot of the difficult decisions that she had to make. It was a healthy decision to hang up her shoes for that race because her foot was in pain. But it also came through in all of her story, talking about being a previver and and getting tested for the genetic mutation, making decisions to take care of her body um, before she had to deal with breast cancer or possibly ovarian cancer down the yeah. road. And and making the decisions to put her health first, first and taking the time to do that in the midst of raising a young child. That's amazing. It, it's challenging. And, and being able to and knowing and recognizing that when we're making decisions as women and as mothers mm-hmm. um, about our health, when you have small kids, you really need to be careful and mindful of what they're seeing and what we're able to tell them what they can process. Right. You know, and and for Coach Shao, having a five or six year old daughter couldn't understand what the breast cancer diagnosis right. is. What the BRCA gene is. Right. It's yeah. just mommy's boobies hurt. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, exactly right. And so I think that I respect the way that she did that. And I'm just so glad that she took the time to share with us. And and for any of you that are, are struggling with a breast cancer diagnosis, because it's so common, mm-hmm. one in eight. Mm-hmm. One in eight. So yeah. Just, um, to, you know, share your story with other people and, and share your story with a community of people who will listen and will love and support you through the difficult and challenging times. Yeah. You are not alone in that. Absolutely. For not. sure. That was a great story. So as we get ready to go into the last week of October 2020, mm-hmm. only two months left to go in this horrendous oh my gosh. year. It's bananas. Yes. Well, let's talk about Halloween. Yeah. What do you have going on for Halloween? What's Gage going to be this year? He decided on Link from The Legend of Zelda. So we just picked that costume up last week. And it's so, it might be the latest I've bought a costume. It just was not on my radar. I mean, it's still wild times. Are we doing Halloween? Is it safe to have Halloween? And But he wanted that costume. So we picked it up. He's going to do that. And then our neighborhood is doing something interesting 
uh, where they've set up a route uh, among certain streets. And then anybody that wants to participate can put a table out with candy or a bucket out with candy. And then the kids will just, instead of knocking on doors, they can just parade down and pick up candy out of buckets or off of tables. Hmm, so that's I love what the, they're going to do in my neighborhood. They have a plan. That's fantastic. Have, there's a woman in my neighborhood, God love her, and Halloween is her thing. And we usually have like a whole carnival and a trick or treat and a whole thing. But this year she's she's like, we are not canceling Halloween. Yes. And and I just bow down. Thank God for people like that. She is single-handedly <laughs> she is saving Halloween saving for, for your community. That's right. Yeah, we don't have that up here. <laughs> so are you guys going to do anything? We don't have a plan. No plans? Who knows? This is the first year that I do not have a costume for my son or my husband uh-huh. because Halloween is his thing too. Really? Yeah. And my son asked me, Roman asked, he said, Mom, are we doing Halloween this year? And I was like, ah. I don't know. Everything kind of feels like that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't really want to make plans because you don't want to disappoint someone. Right. But yeah. I also am shout out to Amazon Prime for having next day delivery. So he <laughs> might. So whatever his if he we get to the point where we decide to do Halloween yeah. this year, it will probably be on Wednesday. Okay. And the question will be, what is Roman going to be this year? Whatever costume gets delivered by Friday <laughs> what at 5 prime p.m. Can what drop prime? on the porch <laughs> <laughs> in a kid size, extra large, or live child, with it, you'll adult, be fine. <laughs> adult small. <laughs> so, that's hilarious yeah so with that being said we are going to prepare for halloween or not or not and just go into the last do week what of, you want go into the last week of october 2020 um recognizing and understanding that we are survivors we've survived a lot in 2020 yeah and we have ways to go but we're going to get there together so thank you for tuning in thank you for listening to another episode of motherhood in black and white Thank you so much, guys. We love having you with us every week. As always, if you're listening to us on Apple or on Google, make sure you're subscribing on Spotify. You can follow us. Um, We love those reviews. Please keep hitting the five stars and leaving reviews and comments for us. We read all of them and we appreciate you so very much. Take good care.